Let us pray. Most holy and gracious Father, draw near to us now by your Spirit that we might be filled, that we might be renewed, that we might know more deeply the redemption that is for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Plant your word in us and lead us and guide us that we might, departing from here, go out joyfully to love and serve you in all that you have given us to do. And we ask all of this through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, it's been a couple of weeks since I've been up here, since I've been here to lead the congregation, to help lead worship. Um, and it's strange. I feel like I'm going to make all kinds of mistakes today. I feel rusty after just two weeks of not leading in church. It's funny how you can get that feeling so quickly. And our passage today is from Romans. I want to continue looking at Romans for the next couple more weeks as we go through this what's thought of as Paul's ethical section of Romans, his section of Romans that tells us how to live in light of the truth and the reality that he has put before us. Paul has told us what is, what some fancier theologians will call the indicative. Now he moves into what we are to do in light of that indicative, the imperative. But it's not quite always that clear-cut in Paul. After all, as we walk through those chapters 5 through 8 of Romans, we heard plenty of times where Paul told us how to respond, what we should do in light of the things he was saying. So Paul isn't an absolutist in dividing his doctrine and commands from one another. He often weaves them together, but there is always a very clear movement in his passages where he's primarily focused on the doctrine, on the reality, on the truth of the things that he, that Jesus has accomplished for us and what God the Father is doing and how the Holy Spirit is working. It's very much he has a focus on those things at the front of many of his letters. And then toward the last half of his letters, we'll often move to, in light of those things, do this, live this way, behave in this way, believe these things, be transformed, as he says in our passage today. And this is a passage I'm sure everyone who's been a part of church for even just a year will have heard this first few verses of Romans 12. I always remember back when I was in college going to a little church, the youth pastor, I was I always helped with the youth group a lot. And he had a call he also had the college students come in with the high school youth to be together and to just be with one another. I remember he'd have a PowerPoint always put up shining on the wall of the youth house. And it would quote this verse from Romans 12, verse 1. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then it would switch slides. And the next one would say, the problem with a living sacrifice is that it can get up and crawl off the altar. I don't know where he got that quote from. I should have taken some time to look it up on the internet because I'm sure... Uh, it's from a book somewhere. The problem with the living sacrifice is that it can get up and crawl off of the altar. To this day, nearly 20 years later, I think that's absolutely true. That is a problem with the living sacrifice, is that it can get up and abandon the altar. 
It can get up and move away because, after all, in the Old Testament, sacrifices led to the destruction of the thing being sacrificed, of the offering. That which was put on the altar died for the sake of another. But here, Paul tells us to be living sacrifices, sacrifices that don't die, sacrifices that continually are sacrificed, that are put to death and brought back into new life. And that's what Paul is driving home for us today here in this verse, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is the theme of the rest of Romans. And I'm using it as my theme today for this passage that we're looking at here, these first eight verses to sum up that by God's mercy, we are called to sacrifice our whole selves in Christ. My sacrifice is not apart from Christ. My sacrifice is in Christ himself, the one who has been sacrificed and risen and been raised from the dead. I can't be a living sacrifice for God if it isn't in Christ. And that's why Paul appeals to us, to the Romans first and then to us, that by the mercies of God, by God's mercies, present your bodies. And what are God's mercies? The entirety of the first eight chapters, the first 11 chapters now, of Romans speak of God's mercies. And Paul sums it up in verses 11, 33 through 36, where he speaks of the depths and the riches and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. That he is unknowable in certain ways. His knowledge is beyond our understanding. And in fact, I missed the actual verses I was looking for there. It's verses 31. And 32 are the ones I meant to say, or where God, where Paul has summed up God's mercy. They too now have been disobedient in order that mercy might be shown to you so that they also might receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Paul sums up his first 11 chapters right there, that all the world has been consigned to disobedience. All people in the world have been consigned to disobedience in order that he might then offer the mercy of Christ to all, that all might hear of the mercy of Jesus, that all might hear of the forgiveness of Jesus, that all might know that it is for them. You see, there are none who escape that disobedience. Paul is scathing in those first few chapters of Romans hammering down that all are sinners, that all have turned from God, that all have disobeyed his commands, that all are selfish and inwardly focused, and none can escape the disobedience that they have been consigned to. But God does not leave his people. He does not abandon the world like that. He doesn't leave it off to be only condemned in the, at some point in the future when he returns to judge all things. No, he sends Christ into the world to deal with that disobedience. He sends Christ into the world to take the sins of the world upon himself in order that mercy might be shown toward all who look to Christ. That all who discover Jesus discover the forgiveness that he has purchased for us through the cross. And that's why, because of God's mercies, we can be a living sacrifice, that our whole selves can be sacrificed to Christ and sacrificed in Christ. And that leads us to three things. It leads us first to transformational worship. 
In verse 2, or actually there at the second half of verse 1, after we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, Paul says that that sacrifice is holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, our whole lives are to be ones of worship. Here Paul is using the word worship in its broadest sense, that every aspect of our life is a type of worship. Here this morning, this Sunday morning, for nearly 2,000 years, the church has gathered for corporate worship, for that narrow aspect of worship to where we are explicitly focused on the Word of God, focused on receiving His sacraments, focused on hearing the Word, praying to the Father as a group of people together. That's the narrow definition of worship, to gather as God's people to worship Him one with another. But worship can be used in the broad sense that every aspect of our lives is worship. That as we are living as sacrifices, as our bodies are being sacrificed, our whole selves are being put, kept on that altar, dying and rising, dying and rising over and over, we are acting in worship. And that is to go on into every aspect of our lives, to continually die and rise again, to die and rise again, to continue to be that living sacrifice toward God. And that sacrifice, because it is in Christ, as Paul says, is holy and acceptable. We have been set apart in Christ that way to where we can be the right kind of sacrifice. That our bodies can die and rise over and over again. And in that act, we are continually transformed. We are not conformed. We are transformed. We are changed. We are removed from the mold of the world and made a new creation in Christ. You see, I often think about that aspect of, like, conforming to God's word isn't a bad thing. But this word for conformed in Greek is only used in a negative way in Scripture. It's always used, it means simply to be molded into something. But Paul and Peter both use it to refer to not being molded into the ways of the world. And then both of them point us to the idea that we are to be transformed, that we are to be changed into something new. So therefore, we can't be conformed to something. And so here it's used in a negative way. To be conformed to the world is to be molded into the shape of the world, to be thinking about its behaviors, to be acting in the way that it wants us to act, to be thinking in the way that it wants us to think, to feel and to sense and to respond in the way that it says is right and good and acceptable. That's what it means to conform to the world. But instead, in this act of being a living sacrifice, we are transformed. We are changed. We are made into something new and different. That which was once conformed, molded into the shape of the world, is broken apart and made into something new again. Made into something new made into the true image of Christ, that that broken, shattered, bent, distorted image of God that was in us has been transformed into the image of Christ, the perfect man. We are no longer called to conform, but we are called to live a life of continual transformation, just as that living sacrifice stays on that altar 
is called to remain on that altar, constantly being put to death and raised in Christ. And that being put to death is that sinful man in us. The old man is constantly being put to death over and over and over because he constantly tries to rear up his head. He constantly tries to take back control and fights against the new man that has been placed within us by the work of Christ through faith. It's not unlike what Martin Luther said about our baptisms, that we are to wash away and drown the old man every morning in order that the new man might rise to life. That's why Luther called for people to remember their baptisms every morning, every morning to get up and to say, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I am baptized into Christ. To never say I was baptized, but to say I am baptized. That was an act of being a living sacrifice because in baptism, the old man is drowned and put to death in order that the new man might, be, might rise up into life by the giving of the Holy Spirit, by the creation of faith within us, by the regeneration that God begins acting by pouring His Spirit upon the baptized. That is what is happening when we are transformed. That is what is happening when we are putting the sinfulness, sinful man to, de to death in order that the new man might rise. We are being transformed into who God desires us to be. And he goes on to say that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. That is, by testing, by proving, by understanding, by learning. You might know what is the will of God. And the will of God is Scripture itself, that our conscience can be an okay guide, but our conscience is formed oftentimes by the world around us. And we have to continually draw back to Scripture to test and to discern the will of God, to see what the will of God is. Because Scripture itself gives us the commands of God that we find summed up in the Ten Commandments that are greater and larger than their place in the Mosaic Covenant. That they in many ways are drawn out of creation itself. That they are part and parcel of who God is. And thus they transcend every covenant. And we are called to look to those to see what is the will of God to discover that he desires us to worship him alone, that he doesn't want us to worship images, graven images, things we make with our hands. He desires us to gather and worship him as a people, to rest one day a week. He desires sexual purity in us in order that we might have families that are not broken, but that are good and healthy. He desires us to lift one another up, to care for one another's lives, to not kill, to not steal, to not lie and cheat and swindle, to not covet after what other people have. And I'm sure as I named off so many of those commandments, that every one of you probably heard one that you could think, I've broken that recently. And that's the work of the, of the commandments, to remind us of what it is that God desires of us so that we can see where we have failed, so that we can then confess it and put the old man to death, another act of being a sacrifice, of a living sacrifice, to hear the commandments of God and to let them slay you, to admit that you do need to die as a sinner in order that the saint would rise again, to be transformed, to be restored to life in Christ, to let that sinful side of ourselves be put into continual death in Christ, to lift us up, to rule over us, to lift us from the burdens of our sinfulness in order that we might be guided by the likeness of his yoke. That's the transformational worship that God calls us to here in this passage. 
with the renewal of our minds in order that we would think clearly because our hearts are already renewed. As Ashley Noel points out that it's from the heart to the actions, to the will, to the mind that we, are, that we operate. As our hearts are transformed to learn to love Christ, then our will, our actions begin to be in line with that love and our mind will justify and understand and be rational about those things. Our mind is renewed that we might understand what God has called us to do. And other aspects of which Paul has taught us today, after that transformational worship, he calls us into a humble worship. In verse 3, he says, For by the grace of God given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. This is one of those passages, one of these times where you know Paul has repeated himself over and over because he said this in other letters, in his other epistles. At some point he has said, don't think of yourself better than you are. Keep yourself in the place that you are. Don't think you're high and mighty and better than anyone else, regardless of the things that you've been given, regardless of the gifts you've received from the Father, regardless of the accolades mankind might give you. You are no better than, the, uh, than anyone else because we all start off as sinners who have become saints in Christ. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. To think with proper judgment. To think and recognize what God has given to you. To not deny the gifts of God given to you. To not deny how God has called you to serve in your worship of Him but to not think that you're more important than others, to recognize that your humble worship is one of service to other people. That as your mind is renewed, you see who you truly are. That in yourself you are a sinner, yes, but in Christ you are a renewed person. You are a renewed child of God who has been given the gifts of grace and the Holy Spirit himself dwelling in you in order that you would be lifted up, in order that you would then go out and love and serve the Lord. Think with sober judgment. Think with the proper measure for yourself. So in other words, on one hand, don't be high and mighty. But on the other hand, don't be rate and, be, and destroy yourself because of mistakes you make. Don't think you're worthless because you can't be high and mighty. But to find the balance of recognizing that you are in the same place as everyone else in the world, a sinner in need of grace. And that in receiving that grace, you have been made a saint who can love and serve God in the places that you have been called to, living as a, as a sacrifice constantly in order to be lifted up more and more and to know God's grace more and more. And everything we have been given is to be done for service. We aren't called to build ourselves up. That would be thinking of ourselves as high and mighty people being haughty about it to build ourselves up with all the gifts that we have. But instead, what we've been given is to build up others. We turn from building up ourselves to building up others, to striving to build them up in all that we do, to lifting up others, to serving them. That leads us to the third point today, and that is that in our sacrifice of our whole selves, we enter into servanthood worship. 
We started off with that transformational worship. We discovered it is to be a humble worship, and now it's to be a servanthood worship. All of our gifts, Paul says, are for one another. In verse 4, he points out that we are one body, that as one body has many members, so is the church. Not everyone has the same function in the church. Not everyone does the same thing, and we shouldn't desire to do those things that others can do. We don't have the same function, but each function that we do have is for the sake of the body. It's for the sake of the others amongst us in the body. As Paul says, though, men, though we are many, in verse 5, we are one body in Christ. And individually, members one of another. Members one of another. As we are in Christ, we are also in one another. We are all interwoven together as a people of God, as one body. We aren't a bunch of atomized individuals who happen to meet in the same building, who happen to believe in the same Jesus, who happen to have the same Holy Spirit, but we remain separate from one another. No, in the indwelling of the Spirit, we have become a living temple who have been stacked on one another, woven together into each other in order that we would serve one another, in order that we would live and worship our Lord together in service toward one another. We are members one of another. We can't pull away without harming the body. If a finger pulls away from my hand, I'll bleed because it's been cut off. And my body hurts, and the finger will die if it's not quickly reattached and brought back to the body. Likewise, for us as believers, when we rip ourselves away from the church, from the body of believers, from worshiping together corporately, our faith, our focus, our trust will begin to wither up. We'll begin to draw away from Jesus and look at ourselves. Our faith will no longer be focused on Jesus. Our actions will no longer be focused at all on serving others properly. We'll be ripped asunder and we'll fall away because we'll quit taking up that cross and denying ourselves, as Jesus put it. The exact same point in our gospel lesson today. Taking up your cross and dying in order that you might rise and serve. We serve one another with the gifts that we've given, been given. And the list of gifts that Paul gives here aren't exhaustive. They're just the ones that he brought together that the Romans needed to hear about. Prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, generosity, giving, leading, acts of mercy. Maybe in each of those areas, the church of Rome had issues, and so he specifically brought out those particular things, dealing with prophecy, just as they had issues with prophecy at Corinth. Service, maybe they were not quite focused on loving and serving one another and those around them as they were called to do. Teaching, teaching the, prop, the properness of the faith, delving into the word and expanding it on it for others to understand. Exhortation, those who can stand up before the people and call out the sins that they're doing and to lead them nearer to Jesus. The one who contributes, the one who gives, to do so generously, to not do so selfishly but out of a humble heart to give of one's own wealth 
to the church and to those around them to lift others up. The one who leads with zeal, the leaders of the church to guide the people, to lead them properly in the power of the Spirit. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, to not show mercy begrudgingly, but to show mercy with joy. One commentator put it with hilarity, that sense of charity, that's a hilarious kind of charity that's done in such a happy way. And those are the things that maybe the Romans needed to hear about. But it's a reminder that even though he, he names off these things and people have these particular gifts, it's not that we aren't all called to serve in a little bit of those capacities within our own families, within our own relationships. That we're all called to be a prophet of sorts to expand on the word of God for those that we're around. We're all called to be merciful and to act with mercy. We're all called to be generous as we are able. But some people have an especially great gift in these areas. Some people can serve 24-7 and never wear out. Whereas others, an hour of service drains their energy and they have to rest. And then they can come back and do some more and then draw back. But there are those who do have that gift of service to where they can just serve nonstop and never need to take a break. And those people are amazing. The people who can prophesy well in proportion with their faith and teach the word of God and draw out what is going on in someone's heart are amazing. But we all have a little bit of these gifts within us. But some have a deeper measure for one reason or another. But I can tell you that reason is to serve and love the church. Each of the gifts of grace that we have are to be serve, servants, to, be, to lead us to become servants and to worship in servanthood. And so Paul calls us to live for Jesus. He calls us to be that living sacrifice that because of God's mercy, we can sacrifice our whole selves in Christ. That we are holy, that we are acceptable, and that that is part of our worship. That we are transformed and can humbly worship and can worship in service toward others. We are changed, not conformed, but transformed by the work of Christ and that we receive it on account of God's mercies and that we can continually turn back and draw back into it because God is merciful. God will continually show mercy to us as often as we draw back to him to seek after that mercy to cry out for that forgiveness. The Lord is always there to receive us back when we humble ourselves in light of the sacrifice of Christ. And so may we always draw back as we living sacrifices attempt to crawl away from the altar that we're on. May we stop and turn back and receive the forgiveness of Jesus and die once more to our old man to be raised up into new life, to continue living as that sacrifice remembering our baptisms day in and day out to let that old man be put to death in order that the new man would rise once more. And so may we receive Christ continually over and over and be transformed more and more every day to live as living sacrifices. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.